everybody. Welcome. It is. Oh, let me turn uh, myself down here a little bit. Hello, everybody. Johnny Torres with you as always. It's the yard sign. Thank you so much for watching as always. Be sure to subscribe to the audio version of our podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify platforms. Thank you so much. Lots of huge news. Um, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to cover it all today. Uh, but we do have two special guests with us today. One of them a candidate, the other one a good friend of mine who I've been wanting to get on the show for some time. But uh, before we get into that, let's go ahead and talk about today's topics. Um, as you can see over here to my left, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, of course, the headline and has been since Friday, uh, huge news of her passing. Uh, we'll get into uh, not only her legacy, but of course, um, the uh, opportunity that is now in front of us uh, for those on the right side of the aisle and certainly with President Trump in office. Uh, then we'll, uh, again, pick up that opportunity apart and talk about whether or not it is the right thing to do to go ahead and uh, find a replacement for uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and then announced today. Now, we're, we normally try not to get into breaking news, but um, the governor, Ron DeSantis, announced today uh, the Law Enforcement Protection Act uh, that also covers uh, protests, uh, rioting, uh, and we're going to kind of pick that apart. Unfortunately, one of our special guests uh, just happens to be very qualified to discuss this issue, um, and that guest happens to be Mike Parati, who's a candidate for state attorney. Attorney, uh, incredibly talented guy. Uh, I've already had the chance to meet him uh, once, and uh, uh, right away was uh, just incredibly excited to invite him on the show. And so he's going to be joining us any minute now. But uh, for now, let's go ahead and turn it over to uh, today's cast. We've got, uh, again, on some new faces for today. Uh, to my left, from left to right, uh, there on your screen, we've got Christian Leon, uh, or Leon. <laughs> uh, and uh, Christian, again, friend of mine for a long time. We actually used to do... Uh, Political commentary uh, on what was formerly known as InfoMas, uh, no longer a, a channel here in the Tampa Bay area, but it it was a 24-hour uh, news network in Spanish for the Tampa Bay area, uh, and unfortunately no longer in existence. But it was a lot of fun always to kind of have political banter, and so I thought this would be a great opportunity to bring him on, and hopefully he'll be back. How you doing, Christian? Oh, sorry. Hold on. <clears throat> I still had you on uh, <laughs> mute there. Go ahead. <laughs> Strategically, still getting, still, I know, right? How it's convenient nice that I have a How mute button. It's it nice incredibly I can say anything and just leave it to the lip readers out there. It is incredibly Did he just convenient say? that I have a mute button over here. <laughs> um, but uh, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, you know, like I said, I have wanted to get you on here for some time, and glad we might have finally made it happen. Um, really quickly, just tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> just never that down too to much me. to ask just me yeah uh, <laughs> i what do i say born and raised in tampa uh jesuit grad for the tampa people out there um went up to boston for school uh got a law degree came back broke my parents heart telling them i did not want to practice law <laughs> jesuit grad for the went into communications for a while and um, done a lot went of up PR to boston. marketing and been involved in uh different community oriented things for a while and i feel like it's hard to be engaged in the community and not engaged in politics at some in some fashion right um and recently as of last year i became the executive director of a nonprofit called the community enrichment lab and for those familiar with tampa um the area around the university 
has evolved into an innovation district through a lot of work by a lot of the powers that be, um, a lot of people that are really uh, trying very hard to envision um, the fruition of a research park building on, you know, the incredible strides that USF has made as a research institution and building on the incredible work at Moffitt and a lot of research is being done at the VA. And there's a lot of large players in the area that really kind of understand the gravitas um, of those institutions and everything they have to offer on a national and I think we can argue a global scale at this point. Um, And so since that area is kind of uh, earmarked for a lot of capital investment and a lot of um, uh, positive kind of evolution and development, um, my organization was created to make sure that as that evolves, the community is always kept in mind and that we find ways that we can, you know, capitalize on the resources that are available in the area, whether they're, you know, financial or academic uh, expertise and knowledge, and we can apply all that to the community. And that we also find a lot of opportunities for the community to benefit the um, development. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it meant a lot to me personally to get invited to participate and to engage professionally in this because a lot of the times it seems like um, the community is an afterthought with a lot of major projects. And I think that a lot of times there's a lot of uh, consequences that we have to deal with um, afterwards. And yeah. it's very nice to kind of get going from before anything major happens. Uh, so I'm excited and hopefully you can get some good work done. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, uh, again, being on the show with us today. Um, you know, there's obviously some pretty heavy topics about, can't wait to hear your insight on that. Uh, and, uh, and to, uh, his left is, uh, as always, Mr. Anibal David Cabrera. How are you, sir? Hey guys doing good. So, uh, I know, I know you're particularly excited about this, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg news. Well, okay. That sounds horrible. I'm not well, no, I know. I'm not, I'm not. Yes, that was a terrible way for me to put it. Sorry. Good job, Johnny. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, let's uh, let's jump into. Uh, why is this not cooperating here? Sorry. Hang on, guys. Um, there we go. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into today's first topic, which again uh, it is uh, the unfortunate news uh, of the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, it's something that uh, you know uh, we we'd kind of known for some time was kind of touch and go. Everyone uh, certainly uh, was. Uh, just kind of on edge anytime that uh, she would go into the hospital. We heard her, uh, reports of her health. Of course, typically when she would be uh, released from the hospital, they were all positive in nature. Um, but, uh, you know, again, you know, she's a cancer. She was a cancer survivor many times. Uh, and it's one of those things that uh, she certainly lived an amazing life that I'm sure will be talked about for generations. Uh, and so for, uh, us to have this this conversation again uh, it's one of those opportunities where um you want to just you know put the politics aside and truly just recognize uh you know the symbol the icon that she was uh you know following sandra day o'connor in terms of being the second woman on the supreme court and uh yeah you can come in buddy and grab that seat right there um but uh you know it's it's one of these things that uh 
you know, you can't really, even in one hour, I would say, uh, get across the impact that uh, she uh, had on this nation's uh, kind of legal community and certainly are the laws of our country. Uh, again, uh, now joining us, and you're going to have to scoot in real tight over to uh, Christian there and then grab that mic there is uh, Mike Parati. That, that get up. Yeah, yeah. Get you want to get, you, yeah, you want to make sure you're in that shot right there. And so, whoop. And uh, so uh, let's go ahead and talk about real quick, uh, you know, she, of course, was someone who, out of all the judges, she was someone that certainly everyone seemed to want to know what she had to say, what what was she thinking whenever, you know, the, you know, the ruling came out, uh, you know, they wanted to hear her opinion on uh, the different decisions that were made by the Supreme Court. Um, You know, do you think it's, is she... Um, kind of monolithic in that sense, uh, unique in that sense, or it, it kind of is one of those people that comes across once in a lifetime, or or is this something that because she was, of course, the longstanding female in this court, uh, that uh, she certainly had just more attention given to her. Again, Mike Parati joining us over at the big table. Hello, sir. How are you all doing? Good. I'll I'll come over there and adjust that mic here in a second. So, Aniba, what do you uh, what are you thinking first of all on on RBG's passing? So, it was looking at her history and realizing what kind of person she was and how she had become, and just a cultural phenomenon that she had turned into with um, with her her letters being used in songs and were her workout videos. Um, my wife had seen that. She, she loved it. It became almost like a, a, a cultural icon for a lot of people. I think what she became, what she's done in her life was phenomenal. Um, just looking at a few points of it, talking about um, wanting to make sure that police forces were more multiracial. Um, she had a, a huge issue with um, Colin Kaepernick, and calling him dumb and disrespectful about what his protesting. I thought that was hilarious with her. She was a great supporter of Israel and this, and uh, by donating to schools, um, accepting awards from the government of Israel. So I think she did a lot of th- things that a lot of people could be proud of. Now, did I agree with every single decision she made? Of course not. I wouldn't say that to, of anyone of, of um, besides maybe um, – Anthony <laughs> Scalia would probably be the only one that I might I might take that back for, but I think she was a great individual, and I think uh, her presence will be missed on the court. I, she worked hand in hand on both sides, and she was a good justice. So um, it'll be interesting to see who fills her seat, who fills her shoes, and hopefully it'll be someone of that can live up to that kind of caliber. Well, I'm going to go ahead and throw you uh, on the spot here, Mr. Parati, since uh, uh, you know to kind of penalize you for being late. RBG, you, my friend, are an attorney. Uh, we'll get into your race uh, later on in, in the show. Uh, but uh, tell us from the legal community, what, what's kind of been the outcry? What's been the response uh, to her passing? Well, I, I think that I echo the sentiments that she was, she was a very special person. She Agree or disagree. Whether you have the same political leanings that she may have had, um, she was bold. She was willing to tell you exactly how she felt about an issue. And quite frankly, I find that refreshing. I think I'd rather have somebody that uh, is going to be a bit of a lion, as she's also referred to, you know, in really being strong and passionate in the things that, that they believe in. And, and when you're talking about somebody sitting on uh, the Supreme Court, 
don't you want somebody with a strong internal moral compass and sense of right and wrong and sense of obligation to this to this experiment called the United States of America and democracy, right? You don't want them rolling over and folding, uh, wilting like a flower every time something gets difficult. So, you know, right now, certainly you're going to see all of the, the contentiousness that goes with what to do next. I don't think you'll fill those shoes at all. I think that there will be somebody else that comes along and have to blaze their own trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and whether or not that happens under this administration or gets held over into uh, uh, into the next administration remains to be seen. There's There'll be ample articles written about that in, in the coming days and weeks. And I'm sure we'll have a nice show to watch uh, to, about all the efforts to, on one side, get it done, and on the other, to stop it from happening. And, uh, you know, it is our process, and, and, and we've got to sit back and see what happens. And, and hopefully everyone, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, will not behave in ways um, to reduce um, the, the respect or the, um, the character of our process. Uh, you know, thank you so much. I mean, it's beautifully said, you know, it was, it was interesting because of course we're so quick nowadays, everybody wants to put out their opinion about, uh, you know, every political bit of news that comes out and I'm certainly guilty of it most of the time. Um, but this was one where because of her grandeur, because of her stature, because of the impact that she had on our country and me not being well-versed in exactly the decisions, you know, that she's going to be remembered for and, and for a lot of her history. Um, you know, I said, you know, I'm going to sit this one out, you know, because I didn't feel it would be right for me to just put out some sort of feign, you know, to try to feign some sort of political statement or some sort of uh, adulation or, or even criticism, you know, if, 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 if that had been the case, um, um, and, and so it's, it's interesting again, you know, to see those who are involved in the process, those who understand what goes into, you know, especially at the local level, all the way on up, you know, into making the decisions that she has through, uh, throughout her career, you know, that to me has been far more interesting to watch. And, and, you know, in many ways, you know, I hope, you know, that, all of our judges are kind of revered this way. But, you know, one of the things that we've seen, obviously, with Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation is, is that much like our politics, you know, um, the nominations of these judges becoming more and more polarized. And so hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll kind of step away from that, you know, again, in these kind of instances. Um, but, uh, it, you know, again, it, it was one of those things where I'd, I just wanted to let everybody else kind of tell the story, right? And uh, let them kind of dictate how she's going to be remembered. And uh, of course, there's movies, documentaries, books, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more coming uh, now with her passing. Christian, uh, before we go to you, I just really quick want to read here. We've got, thank you so much for everybody commenting on our Facebook uh, broadcast here. Uh, Devin saying, love the relationship she had with Scalia. They traveled the world uh, and uh, mixed uh, among their families for years. Uh, Hector, you know, what created the size of her presence on the court wasn't just being the senior female on the court, but her thinly disguised liberalism. She <laughs> might have supported Israel, but she was also unabashedly pro-choice. You know, and that's the thing, you know, a, a, a lot of people are, are Right now, because of the nature of our politics, are painting her, you know, as as maybe a more of a liberal judge than she maybe really was. Uh, you know, how do you guys feel about that? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll jump off first again. I, I I believe that that it's pretty clear that when you look at many of those split decisions, um, you know, she came down on the liberal side of things. 
But I, I, I do not believe that it was what, ever without merit. There, there, it's not like she couldn't back up the basis for her position, and it wasn't well articulated. And so we go back to that. You can agree, agree or disagree with an individual, but so long as they're coming at you from a position of, of well-thought-out, well-analyzed perspective, sometimes you just walk away and go, oh, okay, I get it. I, I'm going to go the other direction, but I hear where you're coming from. Um, I'm going to echo what you said, John. I mean, the, 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 partisan, the, the partisan pull that's coming in right now across this country, both at the federal level and the local levels, uh, for me is something that, that at some point in time, the, the citizens, the, the voters need to step up and, and say, knock it off. And, and let's start trying to ensure that we are making decisions and putting people in office based on their principles, based on what we know about them and the research we've done to try to get to the truth of things and not just fall into this pigeonhole thing. And, and so I'm glad you and many others aren't trying to come back and label, uh, label Ginsburg as something so, so unfair as one particular thing or another. Too complicated, too much of an impact on the system. Let's just let it go, and let's, let's appreciate the service that was provided by her for so many years. Yeah, Christian, sorry to kind of skip on you there, buddy. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, my little dirty secret in, in kind of uh, selfishly inviting you to the show here is, uh, again, to provide uh, the center-left point of view. I mean, again, we kind of had our political banter many times on television, on Infomas here locally in Tampa Bay. Um, so, you know, give us a little bit of your perspective. You know, what what do you see as the impact uh, not only on her career and, you know, and how that's affected the country uh, from from your perspective, but also, um, you know, how do you feel this is going to affect uh, the, the, the elections that will kind of start transitioning into, you know, the, the effect that that's going to have on November altogether? Um, well, first, I think I want to echo everyone's sentiment so far. I mean, she was a person who... Uh, made herself respected and made her views respected through her eloquence and through her reason. Um, I don't think that anyone questions her uh, desire to be faithful to the Constitution, to the spirit of the Constitution, to the spirit of, you know, as you said, the American experiment. And I think that if we can engage in that type of elevated discussion and we can all agree that we're searching for the good for the country and the good for the citizens of the country and that that's really the ultimate endeavor of what we're trying to accomplish, then I think that we can actually possibly have some positive, real, tangible things that we can all be proud of uh, as a country. So I think that, you know, I am always optimistic, and I know that, you know, my my optimism will be dashed at some point soon, (laughs) but I do hope that this is at least a moment of civility in the political discourse, and it's again a reminder for us that if we do approach these things this way, that we could really have um, some great dialogue and conversations and find ways to all move forward without the divisions that have been there in the past. So, you know, how this will affect the campaign, I think that unfortunately our political discourse has devolved to the point where um, I don't have a lot of hopes that this is going to be something very positive. I think that you know, this will instantly be seen as an opportunity to appoint someone to the Supreme Court that's going to champion certain issues that are important to, you know, the voters that are faithful to a side or the other. Um, I do think that it's important to note for everyone in general. I think that, you know, for me, studying law 
And having that education really made me understand the importance of the Supreme Court. And I think it's very important. I mean, I think it's very, you know, the, the common American who tries to understand what's happening in this country is bombarded with political messaging from campaigns, from party politics, from local politics, for whatever. And I think that we always kind of tend to focus on what's going on in the political sphere um, and we tend to forget about what's happening in the courts. And I think that, you know, if you look back at American history, um, it's the Supreme Court that has had to really, really think very, very hard about some critical issues and come to some type of, um, some ultimate type of decision that's going to move this country forward. So I think that, you know, it, it, to me, it's always better to have a balanced court. Uh, it would make more sense to have a group of individuals on the court that are going to be discussing things and trying to reach that common ground instead of having, you know, divisions between ideologues that are, you know, far away from the center. But do you um, think, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but do you think that the system that we have right now, which has been in, I, we can definitely say that there's been a change in the system so from 1970s and going forward to where we expected the, the, the House and the Senate to make some pretty big decisions and then let it let the courts make that final yay or nay to where now everything just gets kicked up to the courts. Nothing is really debated on the Senate floor. Nothing's really debated in chambers. And we and this is what my my real crux of the story is, is that we allow politicians to almost gerrymander us or rig us into having to get into our camps. Now that we're in this position, now that everyone's going to have this conversation, now it goes down to three topics, abortion, maybe um, immigration, and maybe one or two other topics. Like that's not what we should be voting. I want to know what, I don't know, the larger conversations of like um, their monopoly theories of how companies should be working and should we be breaking up um, monopolies like I want to know other topics from these judicial candidates than just abortion like I want to know more things and I think it's really a negative of where we are right now politically of that that's the only topic we're going to talk about whereas again when it, I, I agree completely with RBG's position when it came to uh, her position on abortion. I don't think the government should have any position whatsoever. The same way I don't believe that the government should have any position on someone, what happens in someone's bedroom or what happens with someone's conversation with a doctor. Like These are kind of fundamental conversations we can all agree on, but we allow politicians to push us one side or the other. Like I loved her position on what was the other one? Gender discrimination. I completely agree with her position on that or her position on search and seizures. These were fascinating conversations. And because she was the elder on the court, she got to write a lot of the opposing positions when she was, when she was, because she was the head of, I don't want to use the word head, but she was like the, the oldest member of the, the left wing of the, of the, of the Supreme Court. And so I love reading her, her opinions and her dissension because it, I might not have agreed, but I could understand. And I think she did that so eloquently in her in her position pieces. 
Well, again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, this is The Yard Sign coming to, uh, to you from our new uh, podcast studio. At Bake More Pies, thank you to Cords and the team. Bake More Pies for allowing us to do this show here every week. And uh, that's why you'll see a little bumps along the way, just as I continue to get familiar with all the equipment and everything. But, um, again, we're talking about not only the passing of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but we're also going to go ahead and get into uh, the replacement uh, aspect of it, which, again, uh, given that, you know they always say you 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 want to dump bad news on a friday well there you have it you know we got we got our bad news on a friday um but that certainly didn't stop anybody from not only um commenting on it but certainly starting to strategize uh guys we of course heard uh pretty much right away um that uh, of course uh, you know if you've watched even the west wing you know i mean they've they've had a waiting list okay uh for this sort of thing for quite some time uh and uh and so as you guys have already mentioned there's some names that have been uh, thrown out there uh it's it's now comes the debate where you know republicans are being called out for of course uh, uh, not uh bringing to the floor the vote for merrick garland in 2016 um but again uh you know those of us who are more constitutionalist than i would say maybe republicans in that sense you know and willing to kind of separate those two um do you guys uh Again, see, I mean, we're already hearing that maybe by the end of this week that we'll have a name from from the president as to who he might want to put up for the first vote. Uh, Lagoa, who I think they've been talking about, uh, who's on the Supreme Court here in Florida uh, from Miami, apparently, according to Newsmax, and I saw this just before we got started on the show, she is already out of contention um, even though she had been in meetings in D.C. last week. And, you know, again, interesting how she had, was in D.C. just last week, going around, having meetings, you know, makes you wonder how much internally they kind of maybe knew that this was coming. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I know a lot of Floridians were excited about uh, Judge Lagoa. Or, is it justice or judge? How do you, how do you kind of, uh, Mike? It, it's, it's both. It's uh, both? Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, I just wanted to make sure I was I was giving giving her her proper title, uh, but Justice Lagoa, you know, uh, apparently no longer in contention, even though she was one of the top names uh, being uh, be, uh, being put up for consideration. So, uh, let's first tackle the issue of uh, just replacement in general. Again, constitutionally, the Senate, the President are obligated to to uh, nominate and fill that replacement, uh, regardless of it being an election year. Uh, but a lot of people are calling out Republicans for uh, what they did in 2016. So uh, who do you think uh, has the upper hand on this agreement? Uh, who wants to go first here? <laughs> Don't all okay. jump at once. I, I I'll you. go. <laughs> Mike, go so ahead. I'll throw I, it over I, to you. I again. think that uh, you know the irony is not lost on me that, that in 2016, when this very issue was being discussed with the, with the Garland nomination, um, it was it was Ginsburg herself in an interview with the New York Times that specifically said, you know, there's nothing that says the president isn't still the president in the last year of office, and it's his job to do it, and the Senate should do their job and, and not obstruct things. So what you've first got to decide is whether or not you believe that in 2016 the Republican Party played fair or played uh, dirty poker. And, and depending on how you, in your own mind, reach that decision, you've then got to decide, okay, well, do two wrongs make a right? So 
if we, if I believe internally that what they did wasn't the right thing to do in 2016, does it make it okay for me to now make the same argument because it suits my purposes this time? Um, or do we stay cons- inconsistent with the law, but consistent with our actions and say, no, we're going to delay this one too. Cause the law does not say anything about this. You can't do it. It's just not there. I'm sorry. The constitution says nothing about there's a timeout for, for some, <laughs> you know, imaginary hypothetical time for the remainder of a presidential term. Right. Um, does it create a significant issue, particularly now where we have such partisan pulls and pushes going on? Yeah. It really puts the, 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 the high stakes poker game is up right now. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but it's also not impossible. I mean, we, oh, we it can be done, you know, I mean, we, 40 we've some seen, days. I, don't yeah, even think I mean, yeah, but that's not the conversation that's being had right now. The conversation right. being had is, are we taking this as what we thought and what we said in 2016? Right. Should it as, be done? Is yeah. that, can it be done? Yeah. Should it be that's done? Or should we stop it from happening? But the, we've, but had, the, we've had justices confirmed in less than 15, 16 days. Right. So it's not like it's an, an impossible feat to occur. It just determine depends on who, what, what parties in power as the president, what parties in power of the Senate, and what parties in power of the House. Well, the House doesn't even matter. It's really, right. it's the, really Senate. the Senate. It's the Senate. So uh, to be completely honest, in 2016, the Republicans had the, House, had, the, had the Senate. We had a Democrat president. And again, back then, it was we could make the decision if it was going to happen or not. Because it, back in, and I say this, I am more upset with Senator Harry Reid from his decision in 2013, we kind of talked about this earlier, when he made the decision to lower the threshold for judicial nominations from 60 to 51. And the moment he did that, and again, you're going to start seeing those tweets come back again. He did the tweet November 21st, 2013, that he said, thanks to all of you who encouraged me to consider the filibuster reform, it has been done, which was considered the nuclear option back then. And he allowed that to occur. So before it was, you had to get 60, 60 votes. And it was a, that was a great number. Cause that means if you weren't getting to that number, and again, I don't, I don't know the numbers by on the top of my head, but like Scalia was like affirmed with 98 votes. Right. If and you like, picked correctly, then it would be a get high. 60 votes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so the, the judges that they were pushing, the Obama administration was pushing, were never going to get anywhere near the Republicans whatsoever. So it was never going to happen. And again, the Republicans were like, no, we shouldn't do it because it's an election year. It's all politics. Yeah, but this is the, the difference that, of course, now Mitch McConnell is, is out there making. This is, again, where, where Republicans are pushing back on this, which is that you had a Republican Senate and a Democrat president. And even if they had gone and tried for a vote of Merrick Garland, he wasn't going to get uh he wasn't going to get confirmed um and so and obama trying to uh, you know make it a play for hillary tried didn't really push that hard and certainly didn't nominate anybody else you know for fear of it affecting her campaign um and so what they're saying is is that the reason where why the circumstances are different is because you have a republican president and a republican senate and so you know that 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 is is the difference and between 2016 and now and why they should go ahead and fill that fill that slot and i I think he's right although they should have filled the slot anyways i mean they were there again constitutionally obligated to have uh, at least had the vote go through the motions yeah i mean if you're a constitutionalist yes go through even the if you right. know that there is a slim to none chance of the of the of the person actually passing muster do your job and and, and that's where we find ourselves now you you had 
you know, folks that in one moment arguably either engage, as you said with, with Reed, in what seemed like a really good idea at the time, and now when the shoes on the other foot isn't necessarily something that anybody's excited about. And, you know, those are the perils of decisions that are driven by something other than what the Constitution expected you to do and representing the best interest of your correct of your of your nation and, and that's where the that's where this all falls at the end of the day again if it was a democrat president with the democrat senate they would be doing the same thing i mean these are not difficult conversations to have this is the political reality that we're living in right now even even the um even Ruth Bader Ginsburg felt that it should be fulfilled even within the term. So if the woman that we're replacing, that person who believed in us replacing her, when the time happened, then let it happen. I, again, this is basically where the chips fall. No one was expecting this to happen. This isn't a Pelican brief situation. If people can understand that reference, then... <laughs> so, That's an 80s kid reference. Yeah, and I love that movie. But like again, if that's where the chips are falling and that's where it's going to happen. Now... It's going to look horrible for Democrats to vote no on a female judicial uh, nominee, especially if she gets put in because they are being playing the woke politics for this in last four years. So if she if she cuts them, if she cuts the mustard, passes the mustard and everything else, whatever that term is, then it would be very difficult to say that you're not voting for her over political reasons. I mean, that's that's the conversation. Now, does that help Trump? Does that harm Trump? I have no idea. I don't think this was on anyone's radar radar five days ago. Well, Christian, uh, I I can see you over there just uh, just <laughs> wringing your hands underneath that desk. Uh, you know, by all means, this is a safe space. Feel free to to unleash. Uh, you know, because again, I I know that you know uh, you know liberals are very angry about this. They're very angry that it's even talked about. They're very angry that it's even being considered. And and again, they're all trying to pull this. 2016 but 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 you know and and not that it's not that they're incorrect they're absolutely right calling out the hypocrisy but it is constitutionally required for them to do it and 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 so how do you see this kind of continuing to play out do they just continue to push back or do they just hope to and cross their fingers that they have the votes to uh turn down the confirmation i think that it's just going to add fuel to the fire for the campaign for the elections um in, you know, it, I, but I mean, on both sides, but, like, right? On both sides, or one or the other? I mean, I think so. I think that anytime you start talking about, you know, potential Supreme Court decisions that are going to change the course of the country in some significant way, then it becomes something that people really are going to fight for this over. You know, it, it becomes a, a fight about principles and a fight about beliefs and what people want to see the court doing. So, uh, so I think that. Um, so I think that, um, you know, unfortunately, this is just going to be uh, more political mechanics than anything else. Um, but, you know, I think that one of the points that was made earlier that, you know, I think all of us kind of agree is that something can be a benefit, like a procedural, uh, a, a decision on how to proceed and procedure could benefit either party at a certain time with certain circumstances. So I think that, you know, unfortunately that type of mentality only leads to future complications. Yeah. And I think that, you know... Live by mean, the sword, die by the sword. Exactly. Well, because exactly. I'll throw this so. out there. I mean, let's say Trump go ahead, goes ahead and puts somebody up. Uh, female, male, doesn't matter, whatever. Let's say that person, because as of right now, 
you know, Democrats have the advantage. They've got enough Republicans saying that they're not going to vote uh, or would vote against staying nominee. No, they don't. Um, uh, I thought there was two with a two. third on the fence. Oh, I thought there were five. No, there's two, a possible third, and we we're able to lose. Romney's three. the one that's kind of like hiding his cards, that's Ro- right? That's Romney's the number three. Oh, he is the number three. He is number three. Allegedly okay. that he might. He, All right, but let's say. He's on the side. Let's Hypothetically, let's say they don't have the votes. Let's say the confirmation, um, you know, and we can swing this either way. If mm-hmm. the confirm, if, if let's play both ways. If the nominee is confirmed, what effect does that have on November? If the confirmation does not go through, what effect does that have on November? And I'll throw it back to you, Christian. Um. If someone does get confirmed, I think it'll just be interesting who that person is and what they stand for and what issue they're seen as championing. Because whatever issue that is, that's going to become front and center for a while, and we're all going to be talking and debating about it. And if it's something that is, um, it's going to hit that, you know, it's going to be a, a a very sensitive topic for people in the country. Then I think it's it's you know, unfortunately, it seems like the way that the campaign strategies are is simply to pit one side against another and to see who gets more riled up and to try to get out the vote. Um, And I think that a more, you know, unfortunately both sides of the aisle are going to think that during campaigns. So the more, you know, extreme or, or the more volatile this issue is, the more they think that they're going to get the base out to come vote. So, well, I don't think any Republican is not going to vote for Trump for not moving forward with the Supreme Court nomination. I don't think that's yeah. going to happen. I also don't I also have a lot more confidence in Cocaine Mitch doing what needs Bounce. to get done. <laughs> doing what needs to get done. It's all the me. That's you just the, want you just <laughs> wanted to throw that out there. Um, hashtag. Um, I don't think he would have he is such a tacticianer when it comes to the Senate that he would not have said anything if he didn't have the votes already. This has been again, I don't again, I don't think anything about the Pelican brief. However, I do think a lot of conversations have been had over the months and maybe even years. I mean, she was born in 1933. Come on. Yeah. This was a, this was a, there's there's a folder or a, a folder in someone's drive that has this conversation already laid out. And if he didn't have the votes, he wouldn't have done it. I think it gives him enough leeway that some people can get out of it. I think the the senator from Alaska, the senator from Maine, they can they're in very difficult races. They can do that vote and say no, and they'll be fine in their districts. And so I think, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a nomination at the end of the week, uh, someone to be put up, and I wouldn't be surprised if they pass. And I think that will benefit the, the base of the Republican Party, honestly. Yeah, I think they could lose up to four and still have Pence as the swing yes. vote to get over the hill, um, I believe. Uh, There's so I'm, 35. I'm sure that's 35. what that is. There's 53 senators, so they can lose three and still have Pence. So they can only lose three votes. Because okay. right, then it would be, if they lose four, they're at 49. And I'll then, take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, 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 and so to Mike, I mean, what, what do you think is the, the kind of legal, I mean, not the legal, but the, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, but what do you think is the, the political fallout from this? I well, mean, I, I don't see how you, I don't th- see how you spin up this election any more than it already is. I mean, yeah. literally, Hillsborough County is a, is a, pretty laid back, easygoing, diverse population. Yes. And even here, we don't go more than a couple of days without there being a little bit of a, of a, of an issue or a, or a, a you know, some sort of a dust up somewhere in this County over the, these, these perceived polar opposites of, of philosophy and idea. And that's just in our community. So 
you already have folks that are absolutely entrenched in this belief that this is the the end all make or break uh, defining election for the fate of America, right? It, it, this is it. Mm-hmm. All the chips are on the table. And, and I certainly stipulate that there are some important issues at stake. Mm-hmm. But boy, I sure hope that America is bigger than one election. I, I, I hope that, that, that whatever is the outcome of November 3rd, that we are more resilient and wiser and more capable uh, as, a, as a democratic nation um, than, than, on, than being brought to our knees or choosing to cripple each other by virtue of our acrimony over not winning, whatever well, side that might be. You know, because, you know, the big kind of scare tactic that liberals are already employing is that they would put forth a very pro-life judge and then go after Roe versus Wade, which I just, I don't, I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. I think that's, that's, I mean, look, that's incredibly to the right. That's incredibly far right to go after Roe versus Wade. Um, and, and I don't see it happening. I'm not saying that many conservatives wouldn't want that to happen. I just don't think that's realistic. Now, I think if you put up a, a nominee and uh, it gets passed, I don't think it really does anything for the Trump campaign other than, you know, just a little notch, another notch on the belt. But where I think it does affect Trump politically and and down ballot, you know, goes for them as well, is if he puts up a nominee, doesn't get it confirmed, and now you've got a strike on the board uh, against you and, and, and it's seen as a failure. And I think that gives momentum, energy uh, to the Biden campaign, which right now is, I mean, running on fumes anyways. I mean, there's there's virtually no excitement, and feel free to tell me otherwise, Christian, um, um, uh, for for the Biden campaign. Um, and, and this could be something to kind of jumpstart it, you know, and, and, and get people fired up about maybe uh, Biden winning in November. Yeah, I will say this. I know a lot more Democrats that vote pro-life than I do Republicans that vote pro-choice. And I'll say this, that if it becomes an issue of the abortion conversation, you see a lot more Democrat that lean Republican that probably will either choose to not vote at all or just will vote because of it. It was such a big deal in the 2018 midterms with Kavanaugh that it swung the vote for a lot of people. And that still sticks to a lot of individuals of how destructive. So like, again, if it's a female that is a family woman and you start reading those, if they do the same thing they did with Kavanaugh, it's going to be a nightmare for the Democratic Party because how are you now attacking a family woman? I don't even know where the attacks would go to. So that's the thing. What ammo are the Democrats going to use to try to take out this person? The best thing for them to do is try to get it out before it even happens, which is just making sure he doesn't have the votes. But if they can confirm the votes, it's going to be interesting. And I think it pulls more Republicans to ensure they vote and probably MPAs, honestly. That's the biggest um, driver for this election because the, the camps have already solidified. We're, what, 40-something days away? They've already solidified. It's the MPAs yeah. that we have to start working for, especially down ballot. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up on this. Again, thank you so much for watching The Yard Sign. Be sure to subscribe to the audio version of our podcast on Google, Spotify, and Apple platforms. Uh, and again, down here on the news crawl, you can certainly see all of our social media platforms. Uh, Mike Parati, uh, Christian Leon, and Anibal David Cabrera joining us today. Uh, before we turn over to the next topic, uh, Mike, I do want to ask you, again, being an attorney, uh, being someone who has a much better understanding of the impact uh, that 
that appointing judges, uh, certainly at the Supreme Court, obviously. But, uh, you know, we've heard time and time again, one of the biggest successes, what, what, what may be Trump's lasting legacy is the impact that he's having on the courts across the country. Give us a little bit of better insight on, on exactly what that means. Well, because, and again, I've already told you, I'm a constitutionalist. So I, I believe that whether I like the law or not, we are obliged to follow it up until the time where the legislators elected by the people decide to rewrite the law and do something different with it. That's how you're supposed to fix it. So I, I come to this conversation with a natural hesitation from what's generally referred to as judicial activism. That's something that always, I, I, I get uncomfortable with it because I feel like we are not staying true to what was meant by the separation of powers at that point in time. It allows for absentee legislators. It allows for them to abdicate that very difficult job of stepping in and defining the law as, as the will of the people. Um, but what you've seen with some of the appointments that are, that are constitutionalists, that are textualists, is the other uh, word that gets thrown around a lot in this day and age, are individuals who, at least in theory, on that bench, wearing that, wearing that, that robe, um, will understand that no matter how much they may dislike a law, no matter how much they might dislike the outcome of the application of law, that is their obligation to follow it. And if the consensus following that judicial determination is that we don't like this outcome, directly applying this law, go back and fix it, legislators. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, so when you look at the appointments that have been made uh, across the federal circuits, um, here in Florida uh, especially, um, some of the 11th Circuit appointments and so on and so forth, it, I can tell you from personal experience in practicing in federal court that it does make a difference in the, in the discussions, the dialogue, and in some cases the, the rulings that you can expect out of circuits. And we're talking important issues. You know, there's been a lot of debate over the qualified immunity issue. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and certainly different circuits around this country interpret and apply the qualified immunity principles very differently, uh, almost almost in a way that makes you think, how could that be the, the same country ruling two different ways? So the role those judges plays is critical. It is, it is something that, that has a lasting impact on, uh, on the shape of the, 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 the nation as attorneys doing what they do, explore the edges, push the boundaries of things, try to find a new avenue to protect a right and interest, whatever the case may be. So you cannot understate the significance of a large number of judicial appointments that in theory came from a certain ideological slant, I guess is the fairest way to say it. And we don't know what, I want them to do what's right. I don't care what their politics are. Do the right thing. Protect the people. Apply the law. Well, thanks again for joining us, uh, Mike. Uh, we're going to talk about your campaign in just a bit, but I do want to get to one more uh, huge uh, bit of news that came out uh, earlier today. Um, and uh, and I want to thank, uh, uh, there was a couple of people who actually sent it over to me and, and, and asked that we discuss it today. Huge announcement by the governor, actually uh, right over next door in Polk County with Sheriff J.D. Uh, Grady Judd, uh, no less, um, uh, about this new, uh, what I'm calling the Law Enforcement Protection Act. That's only part of the title. Uh, let me go ahead and pull it up here uh, while I 
kind of uh, um, start this topic. It's the Combating Violence, Disorder, and Looting and Law Enforcement Protection Act. Um, uh, they certainly couldn't find a cool acronym for it either. Um, <laughs> so, so you know it's Republican, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, had it been a Democrat governor, they would have found like some cool name for it. Um, so <laughs> let me throw it back over to you guys, and we'll start with uh, Mike, if that's okay, uh, because this is right up your alley. I mean, we're talking uh, what some Democrats are already saying is possibly an infringement on uh, our First Amendment rights, but prohibition on violent or disorderly assemblies, prohibition on obstructing roadways, which uh, that one I like, Uh, prohibition on destroying or toppling monuments. Uh, I mean, this is right out of everything we've seen over the past five, six months. Uh, Prohibition on harassment in public accommodations, uh, RICO liability, uh, mandatory minimum jail sentences for everything I just mentioned, offense uh, enf- enhancements, um, and then also some citizen and taxpayer protection measures, uh, which include no defunding of the police uh, permitted, victim compensation, government employee uh, as slash benefits, and uh, bail. So, I mean, it's it basically, it's it, it looks like the governor was just sitting at home watching what was happening in Portland and being like, <laughs> okay, that, that, that. And then just, you know, threw it into a beautiful little PDF right here. Um, Nice job on that, at least on the formatting, because it certainly was easy to read. Mike, uh, this is going to be put up uh, to the legislature. Um, uh, I I know I kind of sprung it on you here a couple hours ago. And I hope you got a few minutes to give it a look. What do you think? Oh, no. And you weren't the only one to send me a copy of it. And and I I guess my first response is, everybody, please, let's not lose our mind just yet. Okay. This is a... This is a stage one. Here's an idea for some legislation I'd like to get passed as the governor of things that are important to me. And, and there's a lot, of, a lot that's going to go into that sausage before anything actually comes out the other side. Because there, is things that, there are things that sound good. There, there are things with good intentions the, in theory or that you're trying to curb certain, certain behaviors that probably can all agree, we, have, we don't want to see that anymore. But exactly how you curb that without inappropriately overstepping some other things that we also want to protect is where the magic's going to happen on that, right? So, yep. you know, I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I can go off the top of my mind that there were some pretty strong things in there about bail. And, you know, again, I'm a constitutionalist, so I have bails in the Constitution. That's one of those things that you're supposed to get for the most part unless there's some specific reason why you represent an imminent threat to the public or flight risk and so on and so forth. So I think we've got to be careful about how this stuff ultimately comes out so that, that it's not overreaching, so that it's, it's not starting to squash equally significant rights like First Amendment rights, like making sure that individuals who are aggrieved or have a frustration that needs to be aired don't feel like there's a chilling effect on that. Now, when you get right to it, you know, some of the things that are in there, you know, with those, you know, the blocking the roads aspect, okay, you already can't block the roads. Correct. We just haven't really necessarily been enforcing that so well and consistently all the time. But it's already there. Without a permit, you're not supposed to be protesting and obstructing traffic. Well, we saw we saw Tampa. We saw Tampa PD do actually a thing now in Tampa. Yeah, but we also saw Tampa PD do a really good job of shutting that down really quick. Um, You know, of course, your activists are all up in arms about them being arrested for protesting. You know, but again, they're endangering. It's public safety. They're endangering themselves and others. I don't want anybody getting hurt, and that's why in a park on a sidewalk. Wherever you want to be, don't harass people. Don't get in, don't block business. Don't obstruct traffic. But you know, get your message out to your heart's content. I, I mean, I believe that to my core. The the you know 
the thing about uh, deputies being injured. You, you all know I love law enforcement. I, they, I, I respect what they do. There's laws on the books about battering law enforcement already. That, that's there. We, we, we know you're not supposed to throw things at law enforcement. We know that you're not supposed to, to, to spit on them, to, to uh, throw dangerous objects at them and whatnot. I appreciate the sentiment. Um, I like the notion of let's stand up and make sure that we are practicing First Amendment rights in an intelligent, reasonable way where we're not endangering ourselves and law enforcement and everybody else and not having all these distractions from the meaningful message that should be there. And I think that legislators are going to have to work very hard to clean up these intentions and try and get to where they want to get to it in a way that will be capable of being upheld in court because you know all this is going to get challenged. I mean, you try and do some of these things, expect some very quick, fast and furious challenges by, by, the, by the attorneys out there on constitutional grounds, on as-applied grounds, and that's just more stuff slugging through the, the court hallways, by the way, which are already going to be really in over their head with COVID and what it's done to backing up our system. So you think about what 2021 is going to be like in the hallways of the courthouse, and then you add stuff like this, we're going to be trying to get to that. Yeah, it's going to be a busy year. Well, we already know like every single county now has... Um, lawsuits in their hands when it comes to the mask requirements and all the kind of like, again, I don't have an issue with wearing a mask, not wearing a mask. I think it's a fundamental problem having uh, an attached fine and jail time for someone wearing a piece of clothing or not wearing a piece of clothing. That's where I have a bigger problem with. And I think when you look at this, you read through it, I don't disagree with any of it. I see problems that can occur. I definitely see issues that are going to be tested in the courts. I don't disagree, but like I, it's almost carved out. He's like, it's like the governor was literally watching CNN, watching TV, watching, TV. watching CNN yeah. for two minutes and, and seeing what's happening when, when restaurants are being harassed in New York city, when highways are being stopped in Portland. I think that's, that's exactly what he saw. And it looks like it's been done like that. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this has been, again, this probably pages and pages of additional workup. So we're just hitting the bullets That's right. that we're watching. So I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't think people should panic when they read this because I think there's a lot more verbiage that's going to come out. I think these were just the highlighted points. I agree with some of it. I kind of uh, feel that it's going to be encroaching on people's fundamental civil rights. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's mod, if it's, corrected or changed as it goes through the the course that it needs to go through to get out of committee and, and I, I the one you just said and i didn't mention it in mind so that 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 image we've all seen now on social media of a couple trying to have dinner yeah at a restaurant somewhere and and literally getting verbally accosted by a, a protest group Man, i don't want to be at that dinner right there yeah. I, I mean i i don't know what they did to deserve that nothing uh, whether it was a look well we don't know what happened before the camera started yeah. rolling but Let's assume it was nothing. Yeah, don't ask I me. Would my, like don't, to, don't ask me to ask that question. Answer that no, no, question. <laughs> I would like for that to not be happening. That's that's not appropriate. That's not that's not getting your message out. That is literally verbally assaulting individuals, and th- I don't know how you go about enforcing that and what the burden of proof is or the prima facie case for when that happened and the elements for that are because that could be misapplied, misused. 
But there are behaviors that I think we need to try and curtail. We've got to do it in a way that is true to our Constitution and our First Amendment rights. So yeah. let's let's call it, you know, again, calling it for what it is. Do you think, because you mentioned there's a lot of overlap with laws that are already in place. I mean, almost, you know, I mean, you went down the list. And, I mean, it seems like there's just, these are already laws that are just simply not being enforced. So is this more of a political play here, you know, to kind of, again, kind of come off as, you know, hey, look, Republicans are, you know, are the law and order party and that sort of thing um you know or are there some gaps that need to be filled there i just think that this is the most blatant political ridiculous thing i think that i've seen in a while i think it's incredibly poorly written i think it's just all bullet points like you guys said it looks like someone the governor i don't know how much he had to do with this but someone's watching the news and got riled up and decided to put some stuff on paper um, it's completely one-sided. Um, you were talking earlier about people getting like you know verbally assaulted and everything. I think, you know, if this elections turned into and twenty twenty has become a thing where people just kind of go out and verbally assault each other. You know, if you have you know a Trump flag over here, then people are going to get crazy and whatever. If you have a BLM sticker over here, people are going to get crazy and people are just kind of like. Uh, I mean, but it's one of those things. It's it, Christian. It's not yeah. that it's not. Uh, it's not about it being widespread because it, it's obviously not. There, there are simply pockets of this. But we know that they've been protesting. You know, in South Tampa, Swan Circle, kind of notoriously. Yeah, but um, let's Hyde talk about Park. The like I've been um, to several protests. I, yeah. I was one of the people that felt compelled to go out there early on, um, and I think that you know it was it was really funny from the time you know. I still have to deal with my parents and they're around and I'm an only child and this has been my whole life where I'm dealing with these guys. So of course I know, you know, like I'm like ready to go out there and I'm like, damn, should I tell them or not? <laughs> and the minute that I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to tell them just because they need to, you know, I'm just going to be straight. Right. In case and something then, happens. You know, my mom's like, what are you doing today? And I'm like packing a bag. Um, you know, the reality of going out there, talking to people, understanding where people are coming from, why they're out there, what they're, upset about and the point they're trying to make and then the spirit of camaraderie the spirit of you know um it's a very you know where when i've been involved in any conversation that i've had it's always been very obviously people are really passionate and riled up and not very happy with things in order to go out there and protest but the people that have been out there and organizing have been very 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 clear about there's things to do and things not to do, and there's contingency plans for what happens if someone, like, you know, what if you're out there walking, you know, peacefully and the person next to you decides to go do some craziness, you know? And I think that, you know, in the world of activists, um, it's been pretty clear that anyone who goes way out of their way to do something like, you know, run across the street and burn something or, you know, go and assault someone over there or something those are outliers and they're seen to be agitators. And I think that there's a lot of suspicion among activists about who's actually in the crowd. And, you know, everyone is like, everyone is in this like hyper. Yeah. But let's, let's talk about that for a second sure. because yes, the, I mean, and look, I, I always recognize, you know, mm -hmm. that the people that are out there 
burning buildings, destroying public private property are not for the most part your 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 actual passionate engaged uh, black lives matter lower lowercase black lives you matter do is like you know. take the number of people that have been out protesting and then look right. at the number of people that have done something wrong and I'm sure that you know it's but, not even but, but there that, are, but, but there are far that, too yeah. few you have but that on the, the same side uh-huh. when it comes to different conversations these are uh, these um requested rules changes that they're talking about is just in context of combating rioting looting and violence so i'm assuming someone that is doing what they're supposed to do in regards to coming out and actually showing their disagreement well, of society or because we know it's coming we're not going to be the ones we know a brick to the I'll, police i'll go if, back to what i'm saying there's a reality there's a reality out there in the street and there's the stuff that people are talking about or watching on tv and you know, I don't want to get into talking about the media, this, that, whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, our what we think is actually happening is all because of what we perceive, who we're surrounded by, who's talking what. And I think that we live in a world now where, you know, it's obvious that we have constant communications. We're always on some type of uh, technological, pro- you know, platform. Um, it's engineered in a way to kind of like put us into our own little you know, we're, we're, we're with the people, we're with our own sounding boards, you know, Echo we chamber. hear what we want to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, what but happens Chris- is it destroys the real conversation that has to happen. And I, I'll go to, you know, why, why do activists feel like they have to be out in the middle of the street and stop traffic? Well, I think that there's a certain point in which if you don't jar the normal course of events during the day or something, it seems like all that just goes away. I mean... Wait, doesn't the verbiage really be if you are fringe on someone else's rights? I mean, if you're a libertarian, I guess. Not even that. I mean, (laughs) if I don't have an issue with people protesting and anything else, that's never been an issue for me. My issue is when it becomes violent, when you have storefronts burning off of, uh, in front of USF, that's when it becomes an issue. And I think this is to curtail a little bit of that. I agree. It might be pushing the line in some parts, but if you're not infringing on other people's rights and, and not harassing, then you should be allowed to protest and do and assemble as much as you want to. Well, look, Christian, I mean, uh-huh. I, I mean, you're right. The reason they're doing this, the reason they're getting in people's faces uh, who are dining outdoors, the reason that they are getting into traffic is because they're wanting to get attention, right? They're like, here, pay attention mm-hmm. to this issue, right? Pay attention, yeah. you know, to, to what you are not, uh, to what maybe you may be willfully ignoring in, in terms of what's happening in the world, right? But again, as Anibal said, that's an infringement on people's privacy, their safety, uh, and their rights. Um, And so what this is honestly getting ahead of, because we know it's coming, is that if Trump wins re-election, it's going to be 2016 all over again, just like we saw in Portland, Georgia, Seattle, there are going to be riots. Um, and, and, and honestly, I think this is to stem some of that off in advance of, of the November results. Um, you know, and, and again, it may be overlapping, uh, but there's going to be some gaps filled here and you can't sit there and regardless of who is the one doing it, you can't sit there and say that it's not going to happen. And that, you know, uh, again, kind of like to flip what the president said, that most of them are pretty good people. You know, it's, it's just, it, you know, the reality is, is that there are, extremists and regardless of what side you may think they're on that have capitalized on the current sentiment um, in this country to ride and destroy and try to overturn I mean, these local governments. I mean, going back to Mr. Perotti was saying, I mean, honestly, do we have to have another law to say that it's, you know, illegal to go burn a building down or that it's, 
you know, do we need, do we need, it's just clearly one-sided and it's clearly, um, I think, worded in a way almost to either agitate the opposition or to rile up the, 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 the people that see protesters as looters or see protesters as violent because, you know, what's the purpose? I mean, I think you guys have said it before. If, there, if these laws already exist to protect all of us from that type of behavior, no matter who's, who's the one doing that behavior, then we shouldn't have to worry about it. And it becomes a political statement. I think the governor's sending a message. And, yeah, and I agree we wanted to completely. send it loud and clear. And, and there are maybe some gaps that, that could fill in. And again, there's a lot of work to be done on any of those. And, and you, know, you and I have known each other for, I don't remember Ever. how many years now. Forever. And, and, <laughs> and we could probably sit down and agree on 90% of the things. You know, maybe we won't agree on whether or not they should be on the road or not. Because I I'm, yeah. don't want anybody in the road. That's dangerous yeah. for them, dangerous yeah. for others. It's what creates the fear, the bad response on one side, the bad response on the other side. Yeah. I'd rather give you whatever park you want and, and or whatever sidewalk or allow you to move from one part to the next or get a permit if you want to do straight down a main thoroughfare or something like that because I just don't want people being endangered. Mm-hmm. I understand there's a desire to get the message out, mm-hmm. but I see our governor on this in this in this case doing that same messaging. Mm-hmm. He's looking around at all these different local jurisdictions and the leaders within them and seeing a lot of lack of uniformity on how the the officials are enforcing some of the existing things on the books and yeah. they aren't doing this, they are doing this. And, and so I think he's just trying to put a strong foot forward and then it'll be a lot of arguing and a lot of grinding away behind the scenes to come up with actionable legislation. And what's left when it's all wooded away will probably be hopefully something more palatable, whatever it is. But um, yeah. it's the well, nature my, of things. My, I, agree. I mean, I think, you know, this is a, a great transition point because we're now kind of past the clock. Um, and uh, again, thank you, uh, Mike Parati, for joining us, so Christian Leon and Ebel Cabrera on today's show. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, leave us reviews, please, uh, uh, so that we can continue to get uh, the message out there and encourage people to turn out in November. Um, but, uh, Mike, I think that's a perfect lead in actually for having you on today, which is. I think the big gap here in not so much maybe throughout Florida, but maybe you can enlighten me on that, but certainly in other parts of the country where there has been rioting, there has been looting, there has been destruction, there has been, you know, a personal, public, private safety at risk here. And the state attorneys, the law enforcement, you know, have either been told to stand down, to not press charges, uh, to, to, you know, to basically just let it happen. Um, you know, I mean, this, I think, has been maybe the starkest contrast in why your race is so important, right? Well, I, I certainly think that you would be seeing a very different style of leadership if I were the state attorney for Hillsborough County, which is which is what I've asked for the voters' uh, confidence and support in doing here on November 3rd. Um, you know, it has always been my belief and in, in my background in 20-plus years in every aspect of the criminal justice system that leaders at the most pressing times need to lean for the front. You, you need to be you need to be vocal. You need to be in front of the situation and, and in a position to have the respect, the rapport, and the capacity to dialogue with both sides in a conflict and to do it effectively and efficiently and do it day one. Because, you know, I can tell you, I've spent too many years next to the badges, aware of the badges, defending the badges, firing the badges in some cases, I know mistakes get, happen. I know that, that sometimes law enforcement 
does behave improperly. We do have bad outcomes. So there is, there are things that, need, that we need to talk about very seriously and, and very quickly in our justice system. There are sentencing issues. There are, there are disparate issues with how some of the filing decisions are made. You, you go, the list goes on and on. And, and so you've got to be able to quickly reach out to that side of, of the discussion and say, I hear you, I got you, I want to talk to you about this stuff, and at the same time be getting everybody involved, but let's not go down this path of violence. Let's not injure our community. You don't need to. You've already got my ear. You've already got the support. I don't want any of this chaos. I don't want any of this destruction because all you're going to do is create more acrimony Correct. and this other side of the equation that if they heard and understood your message unfiltered and and not impeded by the destruction and the mayhem and the fear, they might actually start to get where you're coming from. And I think that's where I'm a bit of a different candidate because I legitimately from day one understand both sides of the equation and how significant the need is to build a bridge. But I won't tolerate destruction, mayhem, rioting, looting. Nobody wants that anyways. I mean, I've talked to so many leaders in the community. They don't want that either. Nobody wants to destroy and burn down our own neighborhood. Those are isolated, individual, insurrectionist, people taking advantage of a situation to, to chaos for the sake of chaos. Now, Leaders have to step forward. So again, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. And, and again, you, you seem incredibly understanding and aware of right where the, where the pain points are in, uh, again, the, 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 the fact that a lot of our minority communities right now feel uh, that they are, um, their safety is at risk, that maybe they're, uh, you know, that they are not uh, given equal opportunities, um, that the justice system certainly doesn't work in their favor. Um, and so, you know, kind of bringing it, you know, to the forefront. I mean, we saw these riots, we saw protesting happening here in Tampa. Um, Andrew Warren did not press charges on a lot of these protesters that in most cases, at least from what I understand, the ones that were arrested anyways, were folks who had been destroying public private property. Um, And so uh, at a time where you're trying to be more sensitive about who we're throwing in jail and why we're throwing people in jail. Uh, you know, why, why was that, you know, the wrong move? I mean, why, why is it that, you know, you know, you, you've decided, you know, even before this, but why do you think it, you know, that, that you, uh, or how would you have approached that situation in other words? Well, I mean, so there's always been several major events that have taken place since, since May of this year. We talked earlier about the Fowler Avenue event, which was truly sad for me to see. I was actually out there that night from 9.30 at night until 2.30 in the morning watching various law enforcement agencies literally follow destruction from one storefront to the next, sitting there taking the fireworks and the, the objects being thrown at them, taking you know tear gas being thrown back at them and stuff like that. Literally, things are being set on fire and stuff like that. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen law enforcement not respond in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a matter like that where they're just kind of just allowing to have it happen. You know, Andrew Warren wasn't out there that night. The mayor was out there. The chief of police was out there. The sheriff was out there. Uh, USF chief was out there. Um, our state attorney wasn't out there. And, and, and again, I, I'm just of the opinion that at the most critical times in your community, you've got to be there to be part of the decision-making process to one to another. Now, when we go to the, to the event in downtown Tampa, which was a completely different event, right? It's the Curtis Hickson Park issue. And that was the first night of the curfew being in place, you'll remember. And the Tampa Police Department, the, the protests had been going on. It had not been anything violent like what we saw at Fowler. 
but the curfew was there and, and they weren't dispersing and weren't dispersing and weren't dispersing. And I mean, hours went by beyond the curfew time and you started to sense the agitation. You started to sense the spinning up of things. And, and some things had been thrown by isolated individuals in the group. And I will tell you, as a law enforcement professional, now you've got the chief out there, you've got the mayor making a decision, and you have that pivotal, okay, I feel, in my, in my, I feel this is about to go in a bad direction. I can either try and nip it in the bud now or not. And that's the decision they made that night to arrest the people that had violated the curfew, that were continuing to, to protest and do those things after being given ample warnings. And once again, our, your state attorney, Andrew Warren, wasn't out there. And, and, and that's a time when you should be in the ear because he came back and dropped those charges three weeks later. Yeah, to, and, but, so give us a little bit of an idea of that because, I mean, obviously, yeah, rarely do you get to be at the scene of an actual crime happening, right? But in this case, when we talk about these riots that broke out that were, uh, again, laws were clearly being broken and, and uh, there was clearly property destruction, how, how does that help? Um, in, in terms of having that context of what was actually happening on the ground when these people were arrested? Well, I, I, think, I think, again, you're, at the most critical times, the most difficult situations, you want your elected officials working with some sort of, of consensus, with some sort of, of, of unified idea of what we're going to do to accomplish an appropriate end. And, you know, we, we do that all the time, by the way, in law enforcement. Law enforcement reaches out to the state attorney's office for... Uh, to, to run a probable cause basis by, to, to talk about the, the grounds for a search warrant or an arrest warrant. Hey, do we have enough? Are, are you okay with this? Will you all be able to file the charge? This is what we've got so far. So this is not anything unusual I'm, I'm proposing. And the social unrest we've been seeing, we haven't seen for decades. So now's a good time to get out there and, and maybe, just maybe, because one of two things is true, right? Either 67 people, I believe it was, 67 people were, shouldn't have been arrested that night and maybe if the state attorney had been out there to talk the chief of police and the mayor out of it, they wouldn't have been charged for no reason. Or maybe if you'd been out there seeing and feeling the situation yourself, you would understand why the 67 people were charged, had been given up opportunity, and, and be part of that decision-making process that was going on. I, I think what the public wants is consistency. What they want to know is that there will be a, an intelligent um, design behind how we're going to handle these things that create fear in everybody that's involved in it, uncertainty or unknowns in everybody that's involved in it. And um, that's, not a, that's not an unreasonable request. That, that, is, that is at the very core, I believe, of what being a public servant is about and ensuring that everybody in the community, regardless of which side of the equation they're on, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their affluence, they are getting the same protections, the same respect, the same opportunity, hearing the same message, being given the same instructions. I believe that you walk out to one of these things, and if you've got, you know, the patriots on this side waving the American flag and the Trump flags, and your your protesters that are upset with law enforcement, upset with the justice on this side, there's an opportunity to have dialogues with both of them right there. Mm -hmm. Learn something from this group. Learn something from this group. Be the one in the middle that refuses to allow them to get at each other. Play bridge builder. Play, play the person, because it's your job. It's your job to understand and hear them and hear them and now go do something with it. And that's what I, I, I would be delighted. I've been chomping at the bit to have that opportunity to have the community leaders from all sides come and join me at a table. And let's talk about the things that I know we can do better inside the court system just under my control. Be a nice thing.
Yeah, your position, God willing, you receive it. November that we get to know that November third, November fourth, is such a unique position when it comes to the elected officials in Hillsborough County. It is something of it is a bridge builder. It is someone that has to kind of look in both sides because you're not protecting the rights of Republicans or, or rights or Democrats. You're protecting the rights of all individuals and all citizens and all. And I'll say it, all individuals that live in Hillsborough County, whether victim or accused. Correct. Whether victim or accused, I owe both of them the greatest amount of justice that can be delivered from my office, which, by the way, is very powerful, a constitutional, un, un, almost <laughs> unbridled mm-hmm. power that comes out of the office to decide in the direction of a community. And the person wielding that power needs to understand the perils of too much one way, too much the other way. It's, either one is ruinous for a community. Yeah. In Hillsborough County, and we all know this, how urban and how rural this county really is to from one side to the other absolutely and the the spectrum of individuals living here beliefs uh, identities is something that needs to be put up needs to be put upon and i think you'll do a great job and i really hope the voters i my wife my household will be voting for you in november but i hope the rest of the, the county realizes how much of an individual you are to put them ahead and make sure all are represented. I appreciate it. I mean, you, you, eight years I spent running the jails in Hillsborough County. You don't have that experience and spend the time with those individuals who, whose liberty has been deprived without walking away with a tremendous appreciation for what aspects of our system are working okay and which ones are failing. I mean, there is clearly so much room for improvement to get individuals who simply don't have you know, $10 to their name out of the jail. They don't need to be there. They're, we could do more with ROR, and we don't need legislation. We just need leadership. Correct. I, you, need a state, you need an assistant attorney that's willing to stand there at first appearance court and say, judge, recommend ROR. No violent history, not a significant crime here, ROR. And that's leadership. That, that, and you know, every once in a while, one of those that maybe you let out that way is going to go and do something that you're not happy with within a couple of days, and you got to own it. But the greater thing that you're saving is you can do that. Look, we've proven over the last, we've proven the last six months now since March We've been able to maintain a 400 inmate deficit in our jails right now wow. simply by letting out nonviolent, non-flight risk offenders. So we've been at 3,000, give or take, for 10 years, 3,000 inmates. We haven't gotten above 2,600 since March of this year, just under that premise. Now, understand, as a taxpayer, this is the kind of business decisions Correct. I care about. That's $130 a day Go there. times 400 inmates <laughs> times 365 days a year. Times, if I'd been in this office in January 2017, times four years. Ladies and gentlemen, that's $75 million of taxpayer money. It can go to mental health. Mm -hmm. It can go to crisis intervention. It can go to drug treatment. It can go to giving more resources for our juveniles that are at risk, that don't have mentors, that don't have anybody to help them make less than foolish decisions. And that's a whole other story that we don't have time for on tonight's show, I can tell you. But we've got to have leadership that doesn't just say, I'm not prosecuting you. I'm dropping it. I'm letting diversion here, I'm letting diversion there, but has meaningful interactions with the community to say, yeah, I'm dropping it, but we're going to make sure that we've got something in place for you because we're not going to have you come back to this door four days from now. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something more substantive with the community. Well, Mike, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, again, for those of you who may be interested in learning more about Mike's campaign, uh, what do they need to do? Well, you can find me at www, and this is very fancy, so, so hang on, mikeperotti.com, and it's M-I-K-E-P-E-R-O-T-T-I, mikeperotti.com. You can find me on Facebook at uh, Mike Perotti FL. Um, 
there's emails to, to reach me out on the website. There's a phone number you can reach me at, and I answer my phone like it's uh, my obligation because I've got some some semblance of uh, OCD and and, uh, and ADD and a bunch of other stuff. So um, I, you know, it's it, this this decision I did not take lightly. It's my pleasure to be stepping and taking like it. I've prosecuted. I've defended. I've been on every side of the equation, running the jails. I really think that somebody who understands and appreciates both the challenges that police face as well as the sincere concerns that our public faces, we need somebody like that in this office to ensure that justice is being done and to keep people safe and ensure that victims are being protected. And I really do believe I am the person to do that job. It is about principles. It's not about politics. I don't care if you're a Democrat, a Republican, an independent, which side of the equation you, you swing from. I work for you. And, and I, think, I think it's time that we have that. And uh, if given the opportunity, I'm 100% confident that, that we can very quickly put all of this to rest and really forge a new way forward in this county and, uh, and build that bridge, bring everybody together, and uh, get some good justice for everybody. Yeah, because I think what a lot of people, and I think this table can agree on, is that I... At the end of the day, I have no control on what happens in Portland. I have no control what happens in Seattle. I have no control what happens in Austin. I have somewhat of a control and a voice of what happens on my street, in my city, in my community. And I would want to make sure that the voices that are having dissension or have concerns when it comes to police interaction with individuals, that needs to be highlighted and that needs to be communicated and that needs to be discussed. I don't care what's happening in D.C. I want to know what's happening off of uh, Jefferson mm. in downtown Tampa. I want to know what's happening in the courthouse. I want to know what's happening there. And I have a really concern that on the left and the right, they have no idea. They don't. They what's don't. Going if, on. if you live in Fishhawk, you don't you know no what idea. life is like on 40th and Chelsea. Yes. You if no you idea. live in New Tampa, you don't get what it's like in Sulphur Springs. Correct. And, 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 and you know, and that, that's where you get this disconnect. And it takes somebody who actually truly intimately understands both sides. You, do you all know that currently in the city of Tampa, gun violence is up 49% this year alone? Wow. Did, did you hear that on the news no. anywhere? No. Did you all see that on Bay News Night? No, you did. Gun violence is me 49% this year during the lockdown of COVID. You don't go more than a couple of days without there being another shooting incident somewhere in the city of Tampa right now. And that should concern everybody because what I know then is that I've got some good members of that community that in one moment don't have a lot of trust and rapport with the men and women wearing the badge, tragically. They don't feel like they're being served. They don't feel like they can trust them. And they're living in fear of the bad actor that's one block away from their house, mm -hmm. and they can't say anything about it. And I'm not okay with that. And I need the, fix, the, folks, the folks in Fishhawk to know that we're not okay with that. And when we start to fix those things, then everybody else doesn't have to worry about their car getting blocked in at Swan yeah. Avenue. and doesn't have to worry about stores being burned or looted or rioted because everybody is being served by bold leadership. Yeah. And Chris, this goes into your point. I think everyone gets so hyperbolic of the big national issues that are happening when they can't even tell me who the police department uh, head is in Tampa. If you can't name me the person that is in charge of TPD, then you shouldn't be having a conversation about police brutality. I'm sorry, 
You cannot because you're not investing enough in the community that you live in. Now, if you can tell me those number, those names, or if you've done a ride along, that opens so many people's eyes and ears to understand, okay, now I understand the perspective mm. of the police officer. And I should be sitting with the community to understand the position of where the community is coming from. But we are not having these conversations because we are so embroiled in what's happening in Houston, in Missouri. And I don't, I could care less what's happening. I wish them the best though. Good luck for y'all. Good luck for you guys. You guys have your own system. Good luck. But this is Hillsborough County. We vote for who we vote for here. I can control what's happening here. You, you, we can all control what's happening here. I don't want us to focus on what's happening around the country. I want us to focus on what's happening in our own communities. And until we get to that point, it's never going to go off. Because I can't control what happens in other parts of the world. All right, guys. We're we're quite over the (laughs) clock and... Christian over there looks incredibly oh. tired. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Christian. Oh, the right. No, now. you've been sitting there so quiet, and it's like, no. I actually, I was going to throw it to you because uh-huh. I do, I do want you to close out the show talking a little bit about how people can find out more about the work you're doing because I do think it's sure. important work. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and I hope you come back and continue to give us a, a, a different perspective uh, here on the show. But uh, again, um, tell us a little bit more about CEL and 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 how people can uh, learn more about what you're doing over there. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, just getting back to the topic at hand, I think yeah, that, please. you know, it's very heartwarming and it's very nice to know that everyone around the table can agree um, that it takes really understanding both sides and understanding what is actually going on. I think that, you know, what you're talking about of going to Sulphur Springs and going to the communities and start talking to people, I think that, you know, a lot of, um, unfortunately, people make decisions based on what they see and if what they're presented is something that is you know horrible and shameful and you know then of course they're going to all of a sudden ride their biases to the point where they're going to judge everyone (laughs) in one fell swoop like oh my gosh if you you know support black lives that means you're about to go burn down a starbucks you know and vice versa if you're like oh my gosh you're a republican well that means you know you hate everybody and you you know can't wait for militia to run around with machine guns you know like it's such a distorted perception of reality and i feel very strongly that we draw lines right now between left and right like that's how we're looking at the world we should be looking at is dividing between good and bad. Mm. Amen. And I think that we can all, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of some outliers out there, whatever, but we can really all agree on what is good and bad. I think that we have to all kind of come to that spirit and to draw those lines. And we have to be very willing to stop defending people that are doing wrong because they are on this side of this crazy line that we've drawn And I think that that type of ethic of, you know, trying to hide the sins of the people that we're identified with and highlight the sins of the people that are against the people that, you know, you know, we've identified with. I think that if we can get over that and we can start really discussing about what's right, what's wrong, what is real justice, what's of real benefit to all of us together. I think that, you know, if people could really understand that there's a certain level of um, care and attention and investment that has to happen for people that are suffering really, really, really difficult circumstances or else those challenges are going to manifest into greater problems for society as a whole. I think that, you know, if you look just at education, 
if we don't take time to really look at our education system and realize and make a commitment, all of us, that any child that's born that's going to go into a public school should have the same amount of resources and care and attention and for the system to be a real meritocracy, how we all think it should be. Like, if we can't focus on that, then I think that we have a real issue because all of a sudden you have an education disparity and that manifests into some horrible conditions later on in life, you know? Um, so I think that the work that I'm doing now is really an effort. I think that there's a lot of nonprofits that are very, you know, they're focused on immediate needs of the community. Um, and they play, I mean, you just look at the work that Feeding Tampa Bay has done. You look at the work that like a lot of nonprofits have done. They've done incredible work because there's a lot of need, especially after this year, there's a lot of need right now. Um, what we would like to do is to kind of take a think tank approach and take an entrepreneurial approach and to try to think, okay, let's say affordable housing. All right, well, with everything that we know in the year 2020, with all of the experts that we have at USF, with all of like, you know, very enlightened, knowledgeable minds, um, and with capital in order to try to make things that make economic sense too, we can try to start iterating solutions and things that have worked in other countries, other places in this country, or something that just makes sense that we might want to try. Um, we want to kind of do that, and we want to start chipping away at the root cause of a lot of these problems that we've dealt with for generations. You know, like, one of the interesting conversations I've had with my parents lately is when they uh, immigrated to this country in the late 60s, they got to Jersey right after there were a ton of riots back then, and they were like, wow, we can't believe that, you know, here we are now. Oh, welcome like to America. It's great. <laughs> All over again. It's like the exact same thing is happening. So I think that, you know, my, my kind of thrust for my work is I want to try to accomplish so much so that my organization can be just unnecessary as soon as possible. Um, and I think that, you know, I, the way that I see it is we are geographically situated nonprofit. So to me, if we can look at a mile by a mile or two miles by two miles and just focus on this right here, and say, you know, it's absurd that in this city where, you know, you walk down the street and you can go here, 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 or you can go drive 10 minutes and be in, like, these like, beautiful areas that we will allow, you know, our citizens and our neighbors to be in such conditions that, you know, when you look at metrics, they're compared to countries that a lot of right. people won't even find on a map, you know? And you say, like, oh, my gosh, at the corner of this and this, if you look at this population right here, the, you know, child and mortality rate is like this, or the levels of this disease, the incidence of this disease are, you're like, off the charts, what's going on? And we have everything possible in order to change that, so that's kind of a challenge. You know? Why, like, let's, let's just focus right here and see how we can do better in this community, and then open source all of those solutions to anyone, you know, if we find something that works, why it should work, you know, we'd be happy to kind of give that formula to anyone and right. to help them through it. So to so give us a, go ahead and give us a website uh, or phone number. Sure. And it's easy. It's uh, the cell.org. Uh, the cell is was one L and uh, you can just go there right now. It is not complete with everything that I'd like it to be. You'll definitely see an evolution in it, but you know, one of the things, for example, we want to do is, we want to take uh, photojournalists and be able to document that area annually so that we can see the progress in different areas. I think that, you know, we're looking to be kind of that type of institution in the area that really brings people together, uh, brings resources together, connects dots that weren't there. 
like we've talked before, the same disconnect between different sides of the aisle exists between incredible institutions in that area and the citizens that are blocks away. They so, drive right past it and don't realize completely what's completely. happening you know, two blocks over. Yeah, and just because there's a lack of communication between both sides or people don't know how to reach each other, there's a ton of resources that are available to the community that the community is not taking advantage of. So it's not necessarily that you know institutions aren't doing something to benefit the community. It's that literally they don't know how to get they don't know how to get <laughs> those resources to the community or the community for whatever reason feels um, uh, intimidated a little bit by approaching these institutions or taking advantage of the resources at hand. So there's a lot of work to be done just at that level, but then also you know, finding solutions that don't exist. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. We've got a Stanley Cup game to get to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. This is the Yard Sign again every Monday night, 7 o'clock. If you want to catch the audio version of our podcast, you can go to Apple, Spotify, or Google platforms. Uh, tonight's show will also be up on YouTube later tonight, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, thank you so much for watching. And again, please like, share, comment, uh, and uh, help us grow the show. Um, Thank you again to Mike Parati, Christian Leon, uh, Nebel, David Cabrera, as always. Uh, I'm Johnny Torres, your host for The Yard Sign. Thank you so much for watching, and uh, we'll see you next week. So long, everybody. Good night. <laughs>